0: It wasn't in my plans, it wasn't in my cards to be a homeless drug addict. Because my disease of my addiction, it doesn't give me the privilege to have choices and options of what I will or will not do for one more. When I pick that first one up, it tells me when to go, who to go with, and where to go, and how long. When it says jump, I say how high. How to get there. How?
1: everybody. um, I'm back again. <laughs> What's going on? So I'm, uh, I'm on yet another weekend pass. I get more and more, it seems, as I phase up to each phase. And uh, what the, you know, I don't know if you guys have had this issue, but when your computers are off or unattended to for Long periods of time, since I'm, you know, away from my studio, down and in inpatient, they start to get all buggy and glitchy on you, and I'm like, what the fuck is going on with my MacBook Pro that I spent, like, a few thousand dollars on? It should be, like, flawless, you know? <laughs> But uh, I've been doing, like, mixdowns, and then stupid fucking Ableton will get the what's known as the spinning wheel of death for all the Mac users out there. And then it just, like, uh, I was going to do more editing with this intro and shit, but it's been so fucking problematic that um, this is what you get. So I hope it's good enough for you. Uh, Sorry for the long intro. I literally, every time I try to, like, do any more, like, edits and cuts on that... It just freezes on me. So, this is the end result. This is what you get. <laughs> Hold on, I gotta vape. My apologies. So, I'm on a weekend pass. Um, for those who haven't been up to date, um, you know I'm I'm back in my studio with my illustrious Blue Yeti microphone, which sounds awesome. Uh, but down at the rehab I'm at, I, I got this little um, Tascam DR40X portable digital audio recording microphone thing, and I've been doing a bunch of um, recordings with the the Santa Barbara locals, you know my my uh, resident brethren, um, and one day. Uh, one of the staff members at my inpatient, uh, his name is Gabe and, um, he was like, so when am I, when am I going to be on your podcast? And I was like, oh shit, I didn't think you were down, but I was like, fuck yeah, let's do this. So basically this is, uh, me just introing and segueing into introducing you to Gabe because we kind of just kicked right into it when we recorded. And, um, (laughs) Gabe is a, a hardcore motherfucker uh, I just have to say that right now uh, I'll never forget my first day walking into inpatient he walked up uh, you know my co-host and best friend Ryan you know uh, met me there and uh, he made sure I actually went <laughs> to inpatient and then Gabe walks in he's like all right get your shit let's go and uh, I was trying to upload like... Or, like, I was trying to do something. I was trying to upload, like, several fucking podcasts. And I was like, oh, can I go back out to, like, the car and, like, just check on one thing real quick? And he's like, no. No, you cannot. God damn it. <laughs> and uh, and he... Dude, Gabe is fucking... He's insane. Like, in the best of ways. I mean, I know, Gabe, you're listening, so I don't mean that in any other way but complimentary. But he's fucking... Just this huge, muscle-bound fucking dude who would look like... He looks like he would smash me into the ground into a million pieces. And he almost came off with this, like, militant presence. I was like, fuck, this is like boot camp. I'm fucked. <laughs> and and he, was, he was definitely hard on me. And, uh, you know... Um, but he did that because it's like, dude, I'm new. I'm I'm a little shithead who's stuck in my old ways. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'd be in my room and he just burst in, making sure I wasn't doing anything I wasn't supposed to. And <laughs> I'll be fucking sleeping in my bed in my fucking, in my room and inpatient. And then I'll open my eyes and then he'll just be leering over me, just like <laughs> with this shit grin on his face. Or he'll catch me fucking dancing to music all fucking Caucasian. Dude, there's no privacy in inpatient. So, but he's wonderful at his job. He's hardcore as shit, and uh, he uh, has been through a lot of shit. And um, right before we were gearing up for this uh, podcast, like interview or whatnot, I had all these lists of like topics because you know he's been to prison. and seen some crazy shit there. I mean, he's got a glass eye. I didn't even know that until he he took it out one day. And I was like, oh my God, you have a glass eye. Like, how the fuck did, you know, <laughs> how did that happen? And um, so I wrote down all these topics. Like, oh, you know, like, you know, just to try and pick at his brain. Like, what was prison like, you know, in the 70s, you know, in California? Or how did you... Uh, come to lose your eye or this or that and uh you know he was very uh firm on you know I don't tell war stories and I don't delve into my past he's, and I was like well and he's like what, what 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 kind of topics you got and I was like well yeah well I want to hear about prison and stuff he's like it sucks you don't want to go there next <laughs> I was like well I wanted to get into how you fucking came to get a glass eye He's like, I got hit in the head with a flashlight. What else you want to know? (laughs) So I was like, shit, all that, all those topics went out the window. But it's like, I knew if he was going to come on the podcast, he was going to, you know, talk about what he wanted to talk about. So, you know, I know this podcast is usually like when we start, when me and Ryan started this thing, we were just like, oh, we have crazy war stories. We want to tell them. And, you know, a lot of episodes are geared towards telling stories, but in a way we try to package those stories in a way that doesn't glamorize our past because i mean fuck dude they kind of ruined us uh and we i mean in hindsight i had to go through all those shitty experiences to get where i am at now so um i'm always very you know outspoken about uh the underlying message of you know what i did was not cool at all it was stupid i wish i would have like known what I know now, but sometimes you have to burn your hand on the stove before you get to the point where you, you know, realize the mistakes you made and how it shaped your life to become what it was. So, um, and I get a lot of people in the fellowship, uh, AA, NA, all that. They, they, um, they kind of, uh, um, they shun telling war stories because of the reason that people could look at it like, Oh, wow. You know, like, but uh, and I get that aspect of it, but um, I know a lot of you are you come here for the war stories. Um, and I, you in a lot of episodes, I give a trigger warning if uh, you know, some of our stories or some of the people I have on this podcast, you know, are either in active addiction or um, tell stories that are just way too triggering. I give a trigger warning, but this one I have to give. Uh, a recovery warning because this one's more geared towards recovery um, and the aspects of you know recognizing oneself and the reasons they use drugs and how to overcome that so um, I know our listeners are kind of well I um, assume or my theory is that our uh, squadron the brethren and ancestral of Of this podcast, the listeners are kind of um, grouped into two factions where it's like some of you listening may be still using drugs, some of you may be in recovery, some of you want to hear those war stories, and some of you want to hear more recovery-based. And so our biggest challenge has always been not to be too triggering, but not too preachy, Um, with recovery and that's been, that's been our, our biggest, biggest fucking challenge. So, um, you know, I know some people are like, oh, I don't want to hear about recovery. I don't want to hear about that. I want to hear about the drug stories. And then some of you are like, I can't listen to the fucking war stories because they trigger the fuck out of me. I'm in early recovery. So it's like really hard to please both sides. Um, so, you know, just forewarning, some episodes, are uh, insanely, uh, some, some of our episodes are just crazy war stories and they can be triggering, some of them are more recovery based and that's just the way the fucking cookie kind of crumbled as we were baking this whole idea and this project. So, you know, I know I can't please everyone and uh, as much as my self-seeking for validation is, how strong that is, but it's like, you know... I put out an episode every Friday, and uh, the end result or the end product it is what it is. So I know some episodes people are gonna like more, some people are gonna like less, and that's just the f- I I there, that's all. There's not much I can do about that, you know. It's been fucking incredibly hard to even maintain a podcast while I have so much else going on in my life, with you know being at Inpatient working the steps, working with my sponsor, going to meetings, and doing all the other program elements that are, are required of us at this inpatient program. Because this is like, you know, from, from my experience at this inpatient, it's unlike any other one. I mean, I, I haven't really been to other inpatients, but I mean, the, this one's unlike any other one I have ever known or have researched, you know. There's, um, so many different aspects that they, that they provide, you know, we, I mean, I've mentioned this before, but it's like, there's, there's Bible study cause it's a Christian based, you know, uh, program. Um, there's recovery groups, there's one-on-ones with our counselors. We have a, a, a therapist, um, there's a codependency and communications class. There's anger management classes, there's learning center programs. You know, there's all these different things. So we're busy literally from five and we're you know, we're work, we're doing chores. like we're, cle- we're maintaining the, the whole house, cleaning our rooms, cleaning the bathrooms. Uh, we have a job assignment. I work in the kitchen as a lunch cook. And then we're on we have work crews that we do once a week where we feed the homeless. So it's like um, we go to outside meetings. So it's like on top of all the program elements and working the steps and getting geared up, you know, in the learning center to get our resumes updated and get ourselves back in the, you know, the work, the you know, working class and and get back in school. Like it's like fuck, I'm busy twenty four seven. So then to do all of that and find time. To pull, you know, other friends or residents aside and and record them and have them tell their story and then take that recording and find a way to get computer access, which for me right now is the only place is the library and like ghetto rig and a dinosaur fossil of a computer to get a, a software on like even like running on there so i can mix and master and chop these things up and then you know all the other shit i have to do to prepare i'm like put id3 tags on the mp3 file and then upload it and do all this and that like fuck dude like i have no time for for any kind of social life other than like you know maybe going out and spending time with other people at inpatient here and there you know so um I know like there's always a critic out there who's like, oh, this episode wasn't as good as the last episode. Oh, this is they're they're really going downhill over there. I've heard them people say that about other, you know, people, not like like other people's music projects or other people's podcasts where they're like, oh, it's not what it used to be. And it's like, uh and now I feel like I'm on the I sometimes feel like I can be on the receiving end of that where people are like oh Nat Squad what not what it used to be well it's like dude I was strung the fuck out when it was what it used to be and uh, I was almost dead so if anyone's out there Who's listening, and they're thinking to themselves, "Oh, Unc, your podcast isn't what it used to be." Well, it's like if if we if this podcast was what it used to be, I'd be strung out still, and I'd probably overdose and die eventually. I'm pretty much hundred percent certain I would be, or homeless, and then there'd be no podcast. So it's like, I don't. I mean, I don't know what to say. <laughs> I like to think that the podcast has gotten better and um that's my stupid rant about that so uh you know with that said i'm just going to leave it at that you know i do the best i can and that's all i can do um so uh i would uh, greatly appreciate feedback from people letting me know you know i've had a few uh individuals here and there say oh the audio needs to be get, uh you know your audios too low on these parts or whatever so it's like I love the constructive criticism for people who want this thing to be as good as it can be and it's like I'm not going to know how to improve that until someone comes and sit who like uh, genuinely appreciates what we do over here and says oh you know it'd be better if you do this or that instead of just like oh it's not what it used to be (laughs) so I mean I, I I don't take it to heart it's like you know if you like it, I'm I'm glad. And if you don't like it or if there's certain aspects of it you don't like, then why don't you send us an email? Uh, I always say, send us a fucking email. And um, to the people who have sent emails or mailed me letters, fuck yeah, I love you guys out there. So just for a quick shameless you know, promotion or plug, it, our email is nodsquadpodcast at gmail.com. We have social media up on you know Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, we got like a Tumblr. We have like a bunch of other things. We even have a fucking Twitch account and a Discord and a fucking uh, Skype. Uh, we have even a LinkedIn fucking account. Like, dude, we it, it's ridiculous. So, and a lot of these on um, um, what my plans are is to outsource all the the. The aspects of social media to to people and have them r- run and operate it because it's like i that's a whole job in itself you know it, it's the the weight's been kind of entirely on my shoulders since my co-host has relapsed and and been struggling and i i've done my best to stay in contact with him and you know help point him in the right direction because i can't tug on his hand to get there um so it's like uh, like, people like Marcus, who's been helping with our Instagram account, or or Eve of England, who's helping with the LinkedIn uh, stuff, or, or anything. Like, you guys are fucking awesome. I love you guys for that. And, uh, obviously, I'm broke as fuck, and I don't have... These aren't, like, official job titles with salaries uh, yet. Um, <laughs> because, you know, I I have high hopes for, for this whole thing. Um, but... You know, I appreciate all the help that people have put into what we do here. I mean, right now, I'm busy enough with just staying clean and and working the, the steps and, and this program on top of doing recording, mixing and mastering and editing and, you know, like all oh, that shit's like a whole job in itself. So with that, I, I really don't have much to say other than, uh, Gabe, I know you're listening to this because... I mean, I'm sure you want to hear the, this episode with you on it to see how it sounds. Um, and I did have to censor out a few times when you mentioned uh, the board of directors of this inpatient. Um, you know, when I was even asking the person who runs our inpatient if he would be okay with me recording podcast episodes in the house, he was like kind of... he was taken back by that request and a little, I think he was a little overwhelmed with the the idea of it all that I'm recording stories with residents that can be broadcast all over the world via the internet. And, um, you know, I really appreciate him, uh, for even allowing me to use, uh, counseling rooms to record or, or areas in the building to record, but he had a few requests, uh, you know, to, that I needed to implement to be allowed to even do this, which was, I can't say, you know, the name of the facility I'm at and, um, he doesn't want his name dropped on it. So I had to censor out his name. Uh, so you will hear some, you know, sound effects where I have to edit that out. So, I mean, no big deal. And, oh, I can't really, uh, or not, I just, he doesn't want me Talking about things that happen within the facility, you know, breach of confidentiality, all that. I mean, they have licensing uh, at stake, so and I'm totally respectful of that. You know, like I don't want to put anyone, uh, anyone's, um, you know, career or anything in jeopardy for this stupid podcast. You know, so uh, the people who I have had on from the house, we usually tell their well, or mainly talk about their story before they had come to inpatient. Um, and I know a lot of people out there are like, oh, I want to hear about all the juicy gossip and juicy spicy things going on at inpatient. Well, unfortunately, I'm not really at the liberty to talk about those things. Uh, and, you know, that's just the way it is, you know. Maybe one day I can, but as of right now, that is just not an option. So... Um, One more thing I want to say is just, yeah, thank you, Gabe, for coming on and um, just even giving me the time of day to come on and record and tell some of your your little, I guess, your your experience, strength, and hope, as they say. Um, You know, Gabe is an amazing person. He's he's fucking hard as nails. And for all the crazy, you know, dark and violent, uh, like, moments he's been through in life, he's bounced back and has an amazing life and the way he even talks to us, um and like encourages us. But but I mean he's 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 hard on us, don't get me wrong. Like but he does that out of love for the sole purpose of wanting to see us grow. And um you know, the times I was out, you know, first there being a little fuckhead, breaking the rules and trying to get away with shit uh he pulled me aside and, and instead of like shaming me or making me feel even shittier about my, my actions, he like actually you know talked some sense into me and I don't think anyone's really done that before um he's a good fucking dude and uh to see to hear his story and see where he's at now it's really fucking inspiring so. Gabe, I know you're listening, and just, I wanted to thank you again for everything you do at at this place. Like, I think the staff here is is like the cream of the crop. Like every person that works there is an amazing fucking person who's really helped hundreds, if not thousands, of people. Um, and I'm really glad to be there. Uh, I need to be there because if if I I honestly don't want to I wouldn't want to be at any other inpatient facility than the one I'm at now I think they they have you know tried and true methods for helping people get their lives back on track and you know not everyone makes it through this program and I get it and I'm really fortunate that you know it started making sense after a couple months like what my purpose was for being there um it, it's just been a very surreal experience. It's been very strange and very uncomfortable, but also very beneficial. You know I, I've avoided you know getting uncomfortable for so long that uh, that feeling was so foreign to me because I was so used to numbing out uh, in response to feeling uncomfortable that it was just like my life became in just chaos and just totally destructive. Like how I'm even alive talking to you all right now is just a fucking miracle. Um, so with that, I'm just going to get into this, this fucking interview. Uh, you know, I did get one prison story out of him, which was, is fucking hilarious. So I won't like, you know, spoil it for you, but yeah. Um, anyway, you guys, if you're, you know, anyone who's out there struggling right now with anything, um, you can always reach out and contact me. It's, it's, it's not the easiest to get hold of me, but our email would be good. You know my Brian Unc Albert page. Uh, when I'm at the library, I can do that. I mean, I don't have a phone, so it's really, you know, I'm limited on on access people can have to me, and for for good reason. You know, I need to be in a protected environment while I figure myself out my own shit. But uh, you can always send me a letter, uh, and I'll do my best to get back to you. At, you know, as as soon as possible. I've had a I've had quite a few people reach out to me to you know want to process, you know, things they may be going through or their families going through and, and struggles and, and I've done my best to try and help them or, you know, provide or just listen to people, you know, I and mean, I think a lot of people just need someone to listen to them, you know, I'm not trying to tell people how to live their lives, but just what has worked for me and make suggestions if they ask for it, because if they don't want any suggestions, I'm perfectly okay with just listening, so yeah if you guys you know i love you guys out there and i don't really have much more to say i i i have like literally like a dozen recordings i need to mix and master so um i'll get into more uh what's going on with me and my personal shit uh in a, a whole entire separate episode so anyway i want to say thanks to gabe i love you guys and as always peace love all the above out of me so this is gonna Stop be
0: interesting. Stop it. Why? I try to be uh I try not to be that way
1: with you dude. I know but the first time I met you you looked like you were going to
0: kill me so. You know I get that a lot. You get that a lot? Yeah uh, I do. I was like damn dude especially when I first got here.
1: When really? When I first
0: got here man was, that's that's like I was a scary guy.
1: I mean, you're still
0: scary, but I mean, I told I just, one I dude. I can tell you have a lot of self. One dude was talking shit to me in the in the kitchen. I told him, "Man, you keep fucking with me. I'm gonna take this butter knife and see if I can cut your fucking head off with it." <laughs> I was scary. I was I was messed up, man. I was I was mean. I, I was full of hate, full of rage. Um, all those years of being locked up. I started doing time in 1978, bro. How old were you when you first started doing? Twelve. That? Yeah. Juvi. Doing burglaries, stealing trucks and cars and breaking into people's houses and I was a nightmare of a kid, man. I'd like to say it was because my parents beat me and abused me, but it wasn't. I don't know. I just you know. I mean I heard you share at
1: Mail on the Mission and you were saying that your mom and your dad were almost like polar opposites. Yeah. Your mom was, like, more of a hippie hippie mentality. She
0: was. She was here in California during the 70s after they broke up, you know, and she was an alcoholic. So it was, um, you know, like I said, it was just a big party when I was here with my mom, you know. I'm 9, 10 years old, running around with no shoes, long hair, smoking weed, partying, it's California hippie shit, you know.
1: But then you'd go and see your
0: dad. Then I'd fly to New York, and, yeah, then I had to have my... My pants hung up just right, creaches, creases in my pants, and dude, looking like John Travolta and Saturday Night Fever.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, seriously.
1: Yeah, but that had to have had an effect on you, having to. Switch. Well, I think
0: the mo- the the effect was because I would have to be here in California, and then uproot and go to New York, and everywhere I went, I was that kid from California. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And nobody likes the outsiders. You know what I mean? You're an outsider in New York. You talk funny. Why do you talk funny like that? Why do you talk funny like that? You know? (laughs) A quarter for some water for my dog at the park. You know, I'm like, these New Yorkers are crazy. You know, and they're fast, too. California's like laid back and cool. You go to New York and everybody's moving fast and talking fast. So Uh, not only are you dealing with cultural difference, uh, you're dealing with parental, like, yeah, yeah. Then there was a lot of fighting because man, I ain't gonna let nobody fuck with me. I was the youngest of three boys and, and two girls, and shit. I was the youngest. And you know, shit rolls downhill, so I was constantly fighting, fighting, fighting.
1: Do you think a lot of that would I mean, do you think you were born with that rage, or did you get?
0: It brought I don't up? think I was born with that rage. Did you just, it was just from experience. I think or it was what? just. I don't know where all that rage came from. I have no idea.
1: Um, what I really want to know is, first of all, I mean, you talked about your your upbringing and stuff, but where do you think your addiction first took place? Like, what how did it start? Or what do you think caused it and how did it
0: progress? Well, it, it, it started early with weed you know my mom was always and her friends were always smoking weed and drinking I really didn't like to drink my sisters and my brothers they drank Boone's Farm back in the 70s you know they go or or Budweiser uh uh 40 ounces and I didn't really like the taste of alcohol but I like smoking weed I started smoking weed and then I remember drinking and having a good time for the first time yeah you know, I, I tried it, didn't like it. And then when I was in Montana, after, um, I think my brother was getting ready because we, we figured out that, you know, once you get to a certain age, you don't have to go, we didn't have to go by law. I didn't, he'd, we didn't have to go back to New York with my dad. We could stay in California with my How mom. How old were you? Twelve. And oh. then I knew the next year my brother, so I would be coming back alone and living with my dad, and I ran away from home, you know what I mean? I took off, and I, my best friend... We were at his house, and his mom let him drink. And that night was the first time we had coffee and whiskey. We were fucked up. Irish coffee. And I was like, this is cool. (laughs) This is it right here. And after that, I mean, I just wanted to drink. So I kept running away. My dad would find me and drag me back home, and I'd run away. You know, until finally I did so much crime that they had to lock me up. My dad, you know... I'd run away, and I'd do burglaries. At 12? Yeah.
1: Fuck, that's insane to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you stay in Montana for, for yeah, a good Yeah, I was, was there for a time? few years, yeah.
0: When I left the state of Montana, I was like 14, 15. Okay. I got out of, of YA there, and they told me I had to leave the state of Montana, and mm-hmm. I wasn't allowed to come back till I was 18 or 21. I think it was 18 because— issues. Yeah, eighteen, you you go to prison. You can go to prison in in Montana. Eighteen, you can drink in Montana, and eighteen, you can go to prison. And they have uh, they have Deer Lodge. It's a territorial prison, man. You drive by it, and it's just like out of the seventeen, eighteen hundreds. It's really yeah, it's gnarly. It's a gnarly prison.
1: Heavy politics and everything,
0: or uh, I don't know. I've never been to the prison per se. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've drove driven by it a few times in Deer Lodge. But um, I've never been to a prison in Montana. I was like, the YA in Montana was different from YA in California. Like, YA in Montana was more like a college campus, right? They had one lockdown unit, and the rest were open units, and you walked to school in the morning. The only difference was is, say, like, you know, people escape from places. Yeah. Well, you might escape from there. You can walk off and run, but as soon as you as soon as you leave, a siren goes on in town, and they pay the rednecks oh, five hundred dollars to bring you back. No, so shit. you're not going anywhere. Yeah,
1: you're you're, you're yeah
0: yeah. You There's a reward on you. On the head sirens head. go off in town, and every redneck with a pickup and a shotgun's looking for you. So you're really not going anywhere. <laughs> then to top it off, if you run, your lodge loses their cigarettes. Oh, so then when you get back, so,
1: you're getting
0: at your ass whooped. Well, yeah, you go to, to the lockdown unit, and then after you're there for like a month, then you get to go back to your unit, then you get your ass whooped. <laughs> That's all You get bad. a good beat down when you get back because we Jesus. lost our cigarettes for a month because you decided to run and you weren't getting anywhere, and everybody will tell you, you're not going to get away, dude. Yeah. I think two people ran when I was there. Jesus. So you
1: were forced to leave Montana, and you went back to California?
0: Yeah, I came back to California.
1: And so what happened after that? Uh,
0: I came back to California, uh, did a couple of burglaries, stole the car, went to the boys' camp up here, Mm -hmm. and was there for two, three days, and jammed up, Over, went down to the first crossing, Jump, ran up the hill and then over the hill. It took me all day to get back to Santa Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, got caught in a stolen car after that. And they're like, oh, you going to YA. So I went to YA for like three and a half years. And then I got three out. Three and
1: a half years for a burglary.
0: For car theft, burglary, Burlary. and all the other stuff that I did to get sent to camp.
1: They were. It sounds like they were a lot harsher on conviction rates back
0: then for juveniles yeah because you you go until like you you figure out um if you can come back to society or not it's not like when you go to prison you go you go they give you so much time in ya it was like okay you have to do all these things and get all this counseling and and are you ready to go back to society
1: do you think there were more programs back there for rehabilitation than there are now or, I mean, you haven't been to prison in a while, but
0: no, you just uh, tell them what they want to hear, man. Yeah. You eventually learn how to tell them what they want to hear, and then you can walk out the door. You know. So then I made it off off of YA parole, and uh, 1988. You know, just craziness. How long did you stay with your mom, or
1: were you even staying with your mom? When
0: you no, started? my that's another thing. My mom wouldn't take me out of YA. Uh huh. She wouldn't. That's why another reason why I stayed there longer. So my uncle, who really wasn't my uncle, but he was a close member of the family, mm-hmm. he took me, he told my probate my my parole officer, I'll take the little son of a bitch. <laughs> and he did. I did pretty good with Poncho. I did really good with him for a while. I did a lot of, I tree he kept me working. He owned a tree company and I was working for him. But you know, when you're Eventually, like, when he was there, i do good. But then he took off with his girlfriend and left me the trailer, and I was there by myself. Before you knew it, I was, you know, left back to devices. doing burglaries and slamming coke. Shooting coke in the 80s, dude. Jesus. Uh, went from shooting coke to I said, okay, that, I, that shit's gnarly. So I started smoking it, and then I thought it was Scarface. I started slinging it. <laughs> yeah. Next thing you know, you end up in, in, you know, a whole lot of trouble. Guns and assault and everything else. Oh, With assault. a deadly weapon. Um
1: so what do you think it was that kept you going back to that life? Did you even
0: think you had a problem? Oh, it was back addiction. There? It was total addiction. But did you even
1: recognize it as addiction? Or were you just like, This, nope. is, oh, this is my
0: life? This is my life. This is what I this is what I meant to be. So, this is what I meant to be. When I go I felt Good when I was locked up. I was, you know, back with my homies, back with people that, that got some respect because every time I come out here, I just like, dude, it's it was weird. It was like there was no respect out here. Nobody gave a shit. Everybody would, you know, because if you say, if you're in prison and you tell somebody something, hey, man, I'm going to do this by this time, That's it's going to be take care of. Yeah, You know it's going to get done because... If not, the dude's going to get stabbed or hit with a lock in a sock or something. Something bad's going to happen to him. Out here, people just tell you whatever they want, and then there's no consequences when they don't live up to their, you know, their...
1: That's really true.
0: It is, and I I couldn't handle that because I guess I was institutionalized. They told me that, you know? Well,
1: I mean, if you're growing up, if you're... brought, If you stay in that environment for so long, yeah.
0: Yeah, there was a time, you know, I I think I shared this at a meeting you might have heard. I was out on parole, and my cousin's son, who was maybe ten years old, nine years old, came up to me. He's all, "Cousin Gabe, how come you always go to prison?" And that really resonated. I'm like, "That's a good, that's a good question." I didn't have an answer. So the next time I, I, I caught a six-month violation or something for a dirty test, yeah, I was in there, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to talk to the psych. Let's see see what's going on. Maybe maybe they have an answer. Maybe they know what's wrong with me because I don't. Yeah. You know I've been sober for you know a couple of months. I've been in there. I'm like okay, so so I put in. A, you got to put in a slip and you go. I want to see the psychiatrist and yeah. all this shit. So I walk in there. I get my appointment. With, I walk in there and there's like three of them behind a desk and they're just like, Mr. Rivera, we've just read your file. We don't know what kind of game you're playing or what kind of drugs you're trying to get, but we're not buying it you got three more months to do. Why don't you head back to your cell? And they took it We're like it Yeah, they took it like I was trying to get over on them or something or trying to get something. So I just went. So three days later, I picked up battery on a peace officer and spent oh. a year in the shoe. A year in the shoe? Yeah. Took a six-month violation, turned it into a year in the shoe. And if I ever go back to prison, I still got to go back to the hole.
1: The whole time, the whole sentence?
0: Yeah, because I picked up a battery on a peace officer.
1: I mean, what is, is that? A year in the shoe that had to have been fucked up and
0: fucked with your head, being like... Yeah, that's why I've never gone back, you know. Up to that point, you know, I'd been on level three and four yards, mm-hmm. you know, and it was all fun and games. Yeah. You know, it shit gets serious, but... The shoe's a snake pit, man. Well, yeah, you get stuck in it's, your own head and... It's a, it's a fucking snake pit, you know. Um, no, I mean, it's it's... That's why now... When I was there, they didn't put the guys in cages. Now, they put everybody in their own individual cage. Yeah. Before, when I was there, the whites and the Mexicans would go out to the yard together. Yeah. And people get whacked all the time. All the time. I almost didn't make it out of there. My I had a celly because when I'm in prison, I, I hang out with the whites.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay, so my celly was young and stupid, right? Mm-hmm. and uh, this dude came in who was a dropout from NLR, and uh, we're like, oh, that dude, he's a dropout. So my stupid Sally put his hand up. You know, we get a kite under the door from the shot caller, mm-hmm. and uh, they said, hey, you guys, you want to hit that dude for us on the yard? And I told, told my Sally, don't do it. Yeah. Do not do it. You're not. That's their garbage. I'm not affiliated. I don't have any ink on me that says Nazi low rider. You yeah. don't have any ink on you that says Nazi lowrider. And I told him, if you do this, you're going to spend your rest of your life in the shoe. And I'm going to too because I can't let my Sally walk out there and whack somebody yeah, and not be involved. Yeah. Because then I'll probably get whacked. So I told him, if you really want it. Just tell him no. No, He said, no, I don't want to do this. I said, okay. So when they send the knife over, because they're going to send a knife over that they made out of a plastic cup that's going to be in like two, three pieces, you get to shove it up your ass (laughs) and take it to the yard. Because at that time when you went to the yard and you whacked somebody, they send two guys, one to stab you or cut you and the other one to beat on you. So I said, you're going to carry that knife in your butt to the yard and I'll beat on the dude while you stab him. Mm-hmm. And uh, so luckily for us, that dude locked it up and never came to the yard. So we went out to the yard, and he had to sit for two and a half hours with that knife up his ass. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I told him, that's what you get, stupid. I said, man, you don't, don't do it, man. He had, like, two years to do in the shoe, and I'm like, you're 21 years old, bro. You're going you're gonna to be affiliated with nazi lowriders and you're not a nazi lowrider and you're just going to be used for the rest of your life that you spend in prison that shit happens all the time too yes it does it's a snake pit they will do you know they will get so bored in the shoe that they'll make shit up about somebody just so they can whack somebody yeah that's how bad it is in there it's a pit it's not it's not what people think man I lived it and it was a fucking pit and I after I got out I, and I never went back. I said that's it, I'm not going back. Prison's not it's just not fun anymore. I'm not doing it.
1: How old were you when you made that decision?
0: That was 2002?
1: Holy shit, that's when I graduated high school. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Um so wait, I mean what would you say like what in, what was the moment where you were like, I mean, you made that decision
0: not to go back and do crimes, but were you still using? I was still using, yeah. So. Of course I was still using. I just wasn't you were just carrying like, a gun and pistol whipping people anymore. Yeah. I was, and I was very, very scared about it. You know what I mean? I wouldn't I wouldn't have any paraphernalia on me. If I had dope on me, it would be in the safe. Mm-hmm. If I was transporting, it would be in the safe. You know what I mean? I'd I'd use a dollar bill to snort it, and that was it. I wasn't gonna get caught with dope, and I wasn't gonna get caught. You no not
1: slamming anymore?
0: No, no, nope, nope, I wasn't. Because I, when you slam, you gotta have rigs.
1: Yeah, you gotta have a whole paraphernalia. Pipe.
0: If yeah. you're smoking, you gotta have a pipe. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh uh-uh. uh I could just crush it up, do a line, big old half gram line. <laughs> <laughs> People look at me like I'm crazy. Like ah, well, yeah. by then we would you would
1: graduated to what methamphetamine or?
0: Yeah, I've been doing meth since uh, ninety. Let's see, when did I get out? 93, ninety Yeah, ninety two. Heroin too, or no? I didn't like heroin, man. I didn't. I did heroin in prison a few times. Yeah. Just snorted it, didn't slam it, but but because it was there and it was offered to yeah. me and it was free. Yeah. But no, I didn't.
1: Mm-mm. So when um, you're out of you're out of prison and you're you know trying to be as disciplined as possible with your drug addiction but I mean obviously it must have spiraled out of control still though I mean, it
0: was- yeah it, it did and then you know I met this uh, met this girl this young beautiful girl you know she's like 15 years younger than me we fell in love um, we were doing drugs together and then one day I came home and she wasn't doing drugs and I noticed she wasn't asking me for drugs or weed or anything and I was like damn there's something going on here Mm-hmm. Long story short, she was pregnant. She stopped doing drugs, so uh, I I did the best I could to stop doing drugs, and I did for a while. I got a good job. I was uh, working in the oil fields, making seventy thousand oh, dollars a shit. year. Okay. Yeah. Um. You know, but when you're a drug addict, you don't have any control. You know, yeah. as much as I love my son, and he was my whole world. I was, you know, it just it creeps back in and takes over everything you know yeah my son was two she went away for uh to georgia to visit her mom for two weeks by the time she got back i was full-blown fucked up yeah full-blown done that was it and she wasn't gonna have it so and the whole time i treated her like shit because i was living with untreated alcoholism you, you, know, were,
1: you weren't going to meetings. You weren't practicing steps. I was smoking wiping.
0: weed. Oh, you are using <laughs> weed to stay off of other drugs. I was smoking drugs. weed, man. And then, you know, all it takes is one dude at work. Hey, you want to do some Coke?
1: Yeah.
0: And I was like, okay, cool. I can just, you know, because I could do a couple of lines of Coke on the way home. And by the time I got home, I wasn't high anymore and I could eat and go to bed. Yeah. I did that Keep for wraps, yeah. Basically. I did that for a long time, but you know, soon as she went out of town, it was all over. You know, friends, my friends all, hey, your old lady's out of town. Let's go out. You know, and these are normal people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we go to the bar. Next thing you know, I'm drunk. Next thing you know, it's on.
1: So do you think that moment? Because um, I remember you sharing that she she took off to Georgia and, and stayed there.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Do you would you think would you say that was the moment where you just made the decision to to Seek out recovery, or no? You that was the that control? was the
0: moment I, I went deeper. I threw a drink in my boss's face and told him I kick his stupid ass. <laughs> <laughs> Lost my job, took my four hundred one k and my two week severance, and went to Oceano to my friend's uh, uh, Oceano up north. Yeah. Oh, nice. To I didn't know his, you rolled up there. Yeah, to my friend's garage and sl- just shot everything in my arm. Anything and then it was everything. everything was all gone. I called a friend of mine here and moved into his garage down here, and just slung dope out of his garage. And here we sit, you know. And then you know all that what all that happened. And if you're looking for the time that I just went, I'm so over this.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, it was, it wasn't when um, somebody hit me in the face with a with a. Uh, flashlight and took my eye it wasn't when my brother hung himself it wasn't when my mom um died of cancer and I I mean I I literally stopped doing everything and moved in with her and took care of her for three months and watched her die I was clean that whole time Um, I I don't know when it was but it was just I, I was it was some point you know you know I carried on like that for years later yeah. I was out here working on a boat for divers out here and, you know, living on the boat when I could. When I wasn't, I was living on the streets over here. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I wanted to stop for a long time, but I just couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't. I just couldn't. Didn't know how to live without it, you know?
1: Definitely. Well, how did you find your way here to where we were at right
0: now? Um, a friend of mine was here. Um, and he had an illegal phone. You know, you guys aren't supposed to have phones yeah. here. And he would post pictures on Facebook of the uh, food table out there of all the sweets, and he's all, "Look, dude, look at all this." And then we used to have a drum set in the he, chapel. Yeah.
1: No oh,
0: shit. He's all, "Dude, look, we can jam, bro." Uh, he's all, "Just come in, just come in." So I uh, said, "What have I got to lose?" You know?
1: Yeah. So you went and applied?
0: And- I went and applied, and I came in, got to the office, and he's like, "Hey man, uh, I lost your application." I'm like he fucking dick, and I went and got high some more again. And then I came back. You know, I went out and just went out and came back because I don't know. I just wanted to see if if recovery worked. Yeah. You know, because nothing else had. When my son was born, it didn't work. When my mom died, it didn't work. Even, I was getting out. I was getting out of jail for stabbing those two guys on the pass, Mm -hmm. and the lady was. She knew my mom was behind the counter. She was doing my release. She's all, "How long has your mom been passed away?" She's all, "Is this how how you want to repay her memory? Is this how you want to you know respect her memory?" Or I can't remember what she said, but it just made me go you know
1: yeah that's um,
0: heavy yeah and it's like dude i was like on the verge of going to prison for the rest of my life
1: and you knew that you knew where that road was going to lead exactly even before it was you were at that point
0: but yeah i was living up there on the pass and you know it had this wasn't that long ago it was 2013 14 fuck yeah i uh, a couple of guys i was fighting one dude and the other dude jumped in so i stabbed them both
1: Um, what was the, what was your experience like here? Like, what did you learn about yourself and what did you learn about like recovery in general? Cause you, like when you share, like you say shit that I wish I could think of at the spot when I get called
0: on, but I'm still like, it comes with practice, dude. Yeah. I didn't, I used to sit there and uh, the, the, you know, it's, <laughs> it just comes, it's just like anything, man. I mean, we're, our brains are physically wired to get better with every time we do something every time we do something we get better at it and our brains are just wired like that so you just got to keep doing it and going to book studies and learning about our disease because the more you know the farther you're going to go in life you know as far as you know self-knowledge is not going to do it Mm -hmm. the knowledge of our disease and what we need to do to keep it at bay that's what's going to get you a better life man and you know it took me a long time to do it that's why when i see you guys come in young at your i mean you're still pretty young i'll be 54 this year man yeah and um i came in when i was 50 years old i came to this program when i was 50 years old bro yeah do you imagine the fear of the future that i had
1: yeah
0: yeah and then all the regret in the past it was just—but I learned here to live in the right now. You know, I, there was a bunch of times I wanted to leave.
1: Yeah.
0: And the dude that just died a little while ago got hit by a bike over there. Um, he was a good friend of mine. He was here, and he—you know, I was sitting in—I um, was sitting out there in, in the dining room, and, uh, you know, I was just thinking. I just got here, and was like, fuck this place. It's lame. People are stupid. I don't know, know anybody and then I looked up and he was standing there smiling at me he was, he was like what are you doing I'm like I don't fucking know dude yeah. he's like I'm glad you're here man you know and he, he we used to do a lot of drugs together for a lot of years i known this guy man and it's just like just hang in there man don't leave and he took me to meetings and he you know talked me off the ledge the few times I wanted to leave and um, it just breaks my heart that, that, that people don't get this you know and soon as he got his, his Harley-Davidson back and a few bucks in his pocket, he was gone. You relapsed or...? He relapsed and now he's dead. That's the person who got you in here? No, he was already here. Oh, okay. The other guy that got me in here, he's dead too. He got hit by a train. He, he got asked to leave this program. He was asked to leave this program because he couldn't grasp the whole concept of God. Yeah. Our higher power, or whatever you want to call it, he couldn't grasp that. We had several talks about it. We used to go to the beach and stuff, and we had several talks about it. And he's like, "Man, you know, I just, I just can't get there. You know, I had a dream the other night. I was standing on a on a a, a, a plank on a ship, and they were trying to poke me over to this this whole concept of God, and I wouldn't go. I kept backing up into the blade."
1: Were you ever a religious person
0: when no. you were growing up? No. So, my dad was. My dad was very religious when we lived in Montana.
1: Okay.
0: It was very religious to the point where I have a huge resentment against Christianity. But I don't—I'm over that resentment today. But Was I've that f- a
1: challenge, overcoming that hurdle, though? No. Here,
0: or was no, there- because, honestly, I was so beaten and broken when I got here. hmm You know, I was just—I was just beaten, you know? Yeah.
1: So my best really friend
0: died in my arms. My brother hung himself my sister died my mom died I my son was gone yeah I was I had nothing and nowhere to go and that's I believe I was I needed that to get to where I am today if I would have had any shred of anything to hold on, if I would have been going, okay, I'm just going to go to this program till I can get me a girlfriend and a car and, and you know, a nice watch. Now I have several nice watches <laughs> <laughs> and a nice car and yeah. a job I love. I would have been fucked. Yeah. Literally. All I wanted to do when I got here was not drink and not use and not need any substance to distort my perception of reality and what the world has to offer
1: so, fast forward when you graduated, did you, what was, where, where did you, what, like, where were you at in, like, that part of your life? Like, were you, did you have any sense of, like, where you were planning on going or, or what you wanted? To
0: no, I was, I was just living for the moment, like, I, I do. I just, I just live in the now because, like, I don't know if you heard me say this, but if I try to live in the future, it's scary. Yeah. I'm living in fear. If I'm living, thinking about the past, I'm living in regret. So right here, right now, this moment, mm-hmm. that's it. So you got a you got a job fresh out of here. Yeah. Um, matter of fact, Sonny, the guy that was doing the floors over there, uh-huh. the guy that's all fucked up now. He just I just read about him in the paper. He was strong recovery, man. Strong recovery. I was working for him. You know, and it was great. I loved it because I didn't have to work all the time. You know, it was easing me back into 40 hours a week, but yeah. I was making really good money. So I had a lot of time off. I had a lot. You know, it was it was the perfect job. Everything just rolled into place. You mm-hmm. know, I, w- I didn't force anything. You know, mm-hmm. e- even even <clears throat> you know when uh, me and Sonny got into it, and he you know there was a few things he promised me about the job that. He took away, and a few things he wasn't doing anymore, and he started getting weird at the job. And I told him, you know, I don't think this is going to work out. Yeah. So uh, and at that same that same day, two days later, I was told we all had to move out of there. <laughs> out of the sober living? Yeah. Why? So I didn't have a job. I didn't have a place to live. They moved because of renovations? <clears throat> oh, okay. So this could move over there. Yeah. It could be renovated. Oh shit. So I'm sitting there. And I'm like, what what did my sponsor tell me? Get into action. Mm -hmm. God's not going to bring you this far and throw you under the bus. It's not going to happen as long as you're willing to put in the work. So two days later, it was a a Thursday and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. I got up. I went over to this uh, uh, construction site. I walked in, asked for the, the boss, talked to the boss. He called three of my references. They called him back said when can you start and then you did that but then what
1: led you to getting the position where you're at now? oh
0: i've always wanted to work here from the moment Mm -hmm. i i got here and i had to go work on uh live on the homeless side because um uh because i was dirty for weed so i could they wouldn't let me in then uh then he calls me into the office he's like you're gonna have to stay on there for another couple of weeks because you're angry. <laughs> but what are you talking about? <laughs> Came and wrapped on my bed with that stick. Oh, I hate that. Uh, I said you hit my stick with that bed one more time. It's going up your ass, dude. <laughs> so I had to, you know, stay over there. I didn't. I was angry.
1: Yeah.
0: I was angry. Did you have to do schooling to get this position?
1: Like, did you
0: have to? No, I had to bug a whole bunch, but. <laughs> I didn't have to do any sc- No, uh-uh. I don't have to. Just a uh, uh, high school diploma. Oh wow!
1: So what would you say? Like I want to know what y-
0: they basically created this position for me. Really? Yeah. the the other The other guys they had were just called techs. Yeah. And they didn't do all the things that I do as far as like <clears throat> getting the case notes, sitting in on on the meetings, and things like that. Mm-hmm. They didn't do all that. So I'm more geared for counseling and and helping you guys out with your problems.
1: Yeah, cuz the way you run an operator on here it would seem like you had like actual like certification and training cuz you have so much experience.
0: Well, I I got to basically do the program the way I wanted to. We came up with a way to run it and I and we came up with how it was going to be run and we implement we implemented it.
1: So what, what, how would you, like, I mean, you were working manual labor and construction and all that for your whole life. What is different about this job that's more satisfying than any other job is being a service to others and things Getting like that? Getting to
0: see you guys grow, man. Yeah. Getting to see guys make it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Dude, I, I was at a graduation, the last graduation or the graduation before, and I looked up and there was three graduates up on the balcony that I didn't think were going to make it, dude. Yeah. And I started crying. I was like, damn, that's good shit right there. Seriously, it was like, wow. That was a, it's a spiritual experience, you know? To see guys come back, that was like, like Do <laughs> yeah. I, Honestly, I hated that guy. <laughs> I couldn't stand him. He told it. He, he was telling people that I was picking on him. Really? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, he had issues. You pick on everybody though. <laughs> <laughs> but you know um I try not to. And yeah. it, it's another thing I've been I've grown a lot in this job. Yeah. You know, I've learned how to be more loving and tolerant in this job. I've learned a lot about myself and um you know there's some things that I wish I could tell you about this job that I can't maybe yeah. after you graduate and uh we we have another time to talk. Yeah. But You know, there's a lot of things that I I can't say that I wish I could that would give you more insight. But um, I love this job, man. You know? I
1: really do. I mean, the one thing I just blows my mind is how you're able to... I mean, because you've seen a lot of people go out and lose their life or recent graduates, one of my friends went out. I just don't know how you can witness that and just continue striving like i mean i know a lot of it has to do with just running the running the program staying in the fellowship no no i i understand
0: what you say it hurts dude it really hurts to get you know close to these guys and and you know um it does it really hurts it does but on that i wouldn't if i didn't feel that pain i wouldn't feel the joy of seeing you seeing other guys make it so if i just stopped doing this job because of all the pain i would never get to see the good stuff i would never get to be a part of that i would never get to you know have guys come up to me and just give me the goosebumps and hey man, thank you for everything you've done for me you're a big reason why i made it through and why i'm successful today and give me a hug and dude that just you know that That's it right there. That's a sufficient substitute for any drug I've ever done in my life. Yeah. You know, because my whole life has been, you know, I looked at people, uh, victims. Who? Oh, you're a victim. You're a victim. I'm not going to bother with you. You're a victim. You know, that's all it was. You were either a victim or somebody I wasn't going to bother with. Yeah. And so today, to get the joy of being able to help somebody, you know, I've got a lot of bad karma to make up for. A lot of bad karma. And I do believe in karma, you know? Yeah, I do too. But, you know, it's also... It's crazy. You do do good shit for people and it makes you feel good. Who would have thought? (laughs) You know? Yeah. Right?
1: Well, that's the thing is usually my self-centeredness and selfishness will try and convince me otherwise that I need to take care of myself first and my needs first. But I've seen that that just leads to misery in the long run. And then usually or not usually every single time I do the exact opposite of what my brain initially tells me to do, which is help other people and be of service. It gets me out of my head. It gets me out of, like, that dark thought process. And it's really weird and strange. Um, so, I mean, I know you said 30 minutes, we're at 36. Um, before we go, well, first of all, yeah, I, will, I mean, honestly, like, I, I know, like... When I first got here, you probably had a different perception of who I was. I I was stuck in my own behavioral, like, character defects, you know? But um, I definitely just want to thank you because I have seen a good amount of growth in myself, and a lot of that I want to thank you for because, you know, the times I was being a knucklehead and breaking rules, getting caught with my phone,
0: fucking around, acting out. See, that's weird because... The way you are now, I don't even remember any of that shit. Honestly, I don't. All I know is the the guy that stands before me right now, which is you do everything you're supposed to do. It's like you're like when you said phone, I'm like, did you had a fucking phone? I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, You know, because the good that you do now and what you do now, all that shit is just it's not even a distant memory because I don't remember any of that shit. I'd have to literally go back to the computer and see all the shit that you've done before yeah. I'd even remember any of that shit. Well, even when that was happening and I was getting write-ups and stuff,
1: I thought for sure staff was going to pull me aside and shame me and make me feel shitty about it, but it literally you and every single one of staff pulled me aside and actually had a one-on-one with me and actually had a like a genuine like
0: discussion with me about everything. And um well, that's and- what that's you know that's our that's our leader. That's that's yeah. how he, he trained me to be that way. My my reaction is to slap the shit out of you and call, <laughs> you, call you stupid. So I've grown a lot too in this, you know, because that's how I would handle it. I would be like, you dumbass, what are you doing? But has taught me how to be the person I want to be, which is loving and tolerant and helpful and honestly, if you didn't screw up a little bit, I think you're full of shit. Yeah. You know, there's some guys in here that don't get write-ups and stuff, and I'm like, this motherfucker's full of shit. You know, he's <laughs> just being on his best behavior. You know, the guys that come in and fuck up at the beginning, those are the guys that I'm like, okay, we'll watch the progression. Watch him. He's he's a fuck up because he's gonna try, he's gonna try and get away with all this shit because that's how we're wired. Yeah. We're wired to try and get away with shit, but once we catch him and let him look at his behavior and think about it things will start to change hopefully
1: yeah
0: hopefully that's why we give out invitations for growth and that's why I give you 500 word essays when you screw up and make you look at yourself and what you're doing and and take you know responsibility for your for your actions cuz I never took responsibility for my actions you have yeah. to catch me cuff me and throw me in prison for a few years before I would you know now It's a different story Well yeah And I,
1: I I think what Blew me away By all that was You know I'm so used I was so used to Fucking up And then getting Fucked off And people just dis, Disbanding and Disowning me Or rejecting me That when I Even though I Did all that And I was still Provided an opportunity But also encouragement To push past that And grow It was Really a A huge motivator For me to do good The next time around Because I I I knew that staff and you everyone had like actually believed in me which was like weird cuz I was like for the first time ever I had gotten that and it was um it was really impressive and I I just appreciate all of that um is there the last just to you know end it but is there any cuz you know a lot of people listen to this who are still struggling in their addiction who are you know feel lost and feel like they can't do it on their own if there's is there anything you would want to say to anyone listening right now
0: who's just yeah you can't do it on your own yeah you absolutely cannot do it on your own that's why they call it a we program not a me program yeah honestly for for you know surrender surrender if you're really struggling and you're really tired and you're really sick surrender to this program man i'm telling you yeah. I, I thoroughly, you know, sur- just surrender. Take direction that, you know, and don't be like, okay, well, I've gone to a couple of meetings and, you know, it doesn't work. Well, have you, wor- you got to work it. you got to get a sponsor. You've got to take direction. And you can't say no. All the no had been beaten out of me when I got here. All of it. I said yes to everything. You know how hard it is for a convict, to, for somebody to say, hey, get on your knees and pray what the fuck am i you don't you don't get on your knees that's weak people bullshit you know yeah. what i mean but i said okay i'm gonna do whatever you that's the first thing he told me to do and i was like holy fuck <laughs> i gotta get on my knees yeah you gotta get on your knees doesn't matter who you pray to yeah but you're showing some humility you're doing something different and that humility—you're beating your ego down because ego is the number one killer of us motherfuckers. At least for me, my ego is.
1: Yeah.
0: It'll it'll take me out, man. There's a guy that always says my ego is not my amigo. <laughs> I love that. It's true, man. I've heard that. You know. So that that's where it started for me. That's right where it started for me. He's like, I don't care who you pray to, Allah, the kitchen sink, whatever, the sunshine. Just get on your knees in the morning and ask the universe, Mm -hmm. the pigeon on the fucking windowsill outside, hey, man, help me make it through another day. And before you go to bed, get on your knees again. I'm like, and then to do that in a room with six other guys? Yeah, that's... But I did it. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: That's the point. I did it, you know? And I'll tell you what, I looked around that room, and the guys that didn't do it, they're all fucked up right now. Yeah. All of them. Everybody that was in that room with me. That I did not see getting on their knees at least once are fucked up. Are fucked up. <laughs> fucked up.